Good morning, everyone. You're listening to The Sci-Files, an exposure segment featuring Michigan State University student research. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Today, we're here with Vanessa Garcia Polanco. Vanessa, can you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Vanessa Garcia Polanco. Two last names, no hyphen, two separate words. That's really important to me. Um, and I'm a second year master's student in the Department of Community Sustainability in the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources at Michigan State. And I'm really interested about studying immigrant refugees in our food system. What type of immigrant refugees do you look at and what do you mean by food system? Sure. So my specific research right now is in Lansing, so um, Egan County, so near the capital area of Michigan. And it's really interesting because it's a resettlement city. So one of the cities that hosts refugees. And so we have a lot of diversity here about the different people that have come here across the years. So we have people that came here during the Cuban Missile Crisis that have been here since the 63. And we have people that have come here more recently from Syria. And we have many people that have been resettled here over the last 50 years since Lansing has been a resettlement city. What agency defines a resettlement city in the first place? Um, if I remember correctly, because that's a little, I work more in like, in other aspects of that. The idea of refugee came about um, after World War II, the United Nations came to be. So there was a treaty, the Geneva Treaty, that decided who would take refugees in. And that decided who, every country would have a cap, a limit, or an amount they would take in. The United States right now is around 25,000 between 30,000, and that varies by the administration. And basically, the administration decides um, who, how many we take in, how many refugees, but especially who decides as a combination of the Department of uh, the Presidency, the, the White House office, and the other offices. But it's mostly a group of organizations kept together in, in D.C., and they reveal all the files and cases from around the world, people that have requested asylum in the United States, and they, they allocate how many people, how many stay in each state. And Michigan is really lucky. Every year we resettle around 5,000 refugees in Michigan, and Lansing resettles around 200 refugees every year. That's really cool. May you please define what is a food system? Sure, I would love to. And that's one of the words that I feel we talk so much about that we don't realize is jargon or it may be exclusionary. So the food system is basically everything from the farm onto the trash can. That's the way I like to define it. Because the food system is every step that gets food to our table and then how we waste that food as well. So usually when we think of the food system, we think about it in states uh, chunks, about uh, six sections, and that's usually production, so a farm, a community garden, your backyard garden is part of the food system. Uh, then we think about distribution, so uh, who are the people who are buying the food from the farm and they're getting it to supermarkets, and that's also distribution, supermarkets, where are you buying your food? And then we're thinking about consumption sites. Uh, consumption is where you eat your food, your kitchen, a restaurant, the cafeteria, all those are consumption sites. And then we think about waste. Uh, so after everything that is left, or the or the food, or even waste at the farm, or the food that you didn't eat, or the food that is left unsold at the supermarket, what happens to that food? So we think about waste. Usually the sixth component is about the people. So who are the people and the players uh, that make all this system move and move forward? 
Do you focus on a particular aspect? Like, do you look particularly at the production or the distribution? Uh, right now, I'm mostly looking at the production. So I'm looking at what is being produced by immigrants and refugees in Lansing, um, specifically. And I'm really interested also in consumption. So what are they producing and eating is how it relates to their food waves. And food waste is just the way we eat. So what is um, the culture of eating and how that relates to what they're growing? Then to clarify, what is the difference between a refugee and an immigrant? I'm glad you asked. An immigrant is a person that came here voluntarily that could have been for economic reasons. And it's a person living here voluntarily. A refugee is a person that didn't come here willingly or is escaping persecution. And usually the refugee, uh, before you are a refugee, you are usually an asylum seeker. That label comes from the United Nations. So then are you looking at how food is being consumed by refugees or are you looking at how food is being produced by refugees? A little bit of both because um, many of them are growing food here um, just as part of their what we call assimilation and acculturalization to the United States. So for them, gardening is a way to go back to their agrarian traditions because many refugees come from agrarian backgrounds. They come from farming backgrounds and they were displaced or escaping persecution. So for them to produce their own food is something that they know how to do and they can contribute meaningfully to the food system in the United States to agricultural production here because we have a shortcut right now in agricultural production. So we actually need more people going into farming and food production. Do you see these refugees focusing on a particular type of food production? Yes, usually uh, it's uh, traditional food production. So depending on what country they're coming from, uh, they will be producing some of those crops. The difference between sometimes some of the refugees and some of the um, immigrants that I work with, because they have different, what we call acculturalization patterns, the, the way they are assimilating and getting used to America and uh, obtaining and acquiring American culture is different because of the different pro- the different migration processes that they experience, is that sometimes um, immigrants will, will have a production that is um, more American, we will say. So they will be growing more American crops, but they will also be growing traditional crops. When refugees will take longer to start growing more American crops, they will, they will be producing more, in, producing and growing more of the traditional crops that, that they used to back in their home countries. How is this work contributing to your thesis for your master's? So I especially look at biodiversity. I'm especially looking and counting the plants and looking at what they're growing. Because we believe in, we know by the sustainable development goals and by climate change adaptation in urban areas. So we we know that the more uh, crop biodiversity, the more different plants that we're growing in an ecosystem or area, in an urban area can help us mitigate climate change and create more resilient food system because there's a different there's more diodiversity. So we know that uh, the system can be stronger in case there was a shock to it. But most importantly, we know that this diversity is important to the people because they care about their food being diverse and we care about their having a still link to their traditional food ways. So you go to the actual area where they're growing these crops and you count the plants. So do you look at one particular area in Lansing or do you go to multiple places where the plants are being grown? Okay, well, Lansing is really lucky. We have around 90 community gardens and that's only community gardens. We're not going to people's personal houses and plots. 
So we know there is a lot of things being grown out here. So we are now we're starting with a small sample of just uh, three community gardens. And we are right now what we're doing, what we call an abundance analysis. We're actually counting how many plants are there and knowing which ones are the most important that are being grown by the different groups here. Can you define what a community garden is? Um, I've heard of like Allen Street Marketplace and like things like that, but I'm not sure exactly what is a community garden. Well, a community garden um, is um, it's a place of land where people come together and they create their own rules and they decide to grow food. And the food it has different goals depending on the community garden. So a lot of the community gardens that we have here in Lansing, their goal is just to build community and to produce food. Some community gardens, their only goal is to produce food to be donated. Some community gardens' goal is to teach. So they are like teaching gardens, but people are growing food. So basically, the way it works is like I have a plot and I want to designate a community garden. I invite everyone in the neighborhood uh, to be part of it. There's sometimes a feed or a registration, and we create a set of rules on how we want to manage this space. And everyone holds each other accountable to those rules. And everyone is producing their own food because it may be they need more space to produce food. They may not have a space at home or they may be experiencing uh, hunger or food insecurity and they don't have enough food. So this is a way for them also to build community. Most of the research we know now is that community gardens are about building community and they're a part of the food system that is more about social cohesion and also connecting with people, connecting with our neighborhoods and building community through food. It sounds like garden communities are a big part of the Lansing area. Do refugees prefer to purchase food from like a local grocery or are they made for the most part participating with these community garden programs? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Out of the 90 community gardens, only nine are, se are serving, especially refugees. But it's really interesting because sometimes they're growing things that you can buy at the store, but they they still prefer to grow it themselves and it's because they are aware of like things like organic and agricultural practices and they're aware of healthy eating in ways that we don't think they are. So we need to think about them as individuals that also can make their own food choices and uh, not completely different people than us. So they are producing their own food. There's, they go to their neck markets. Uh, they go to the supermarket um, and they're, this, they're, as a normal person will go, they will get their food from different locations. Since refugees come from all over the world, how do they adapt to different types of foods that they would be exposed to here in the Lansing area? Because I could imagine people, like you had mentioned, if they, refuge, if they come from Syria, mm -hmm. the, the climate isn't the same whenever they're growing their food. So how do they overcome that? Uh, many times it's trial and error. You many times we tell them that's not gonna grow here, that's not gonna grow here. But they still try, and that's commendable because they still wanna defy the elements and their new weather conditions here. Um, but many times it, it is it's a process, and we actually also tracking what are the foods, uh, in the in the garden that are being shared the most by and by which groups, and that's something really exciting that we're looking towards finding. We'll know more at the end of the season. Because we want to know, if I'm an African gardener from ex African country, am I growing a lot of this to share with my community members? Or am I growing other things to, because I just want to know for my personal family consumption. So we know there's a lot of, there's a lot of sharing happening and we want to document that. 
because we, as you, as I told you before, it's all about community, but it's also how the community can support you to get the foods that you want and they're uh, culturally appropriate and important to your diet. That's funny that you mentioned that because I've tried to actually grow some plants over here that grow in Miami and it doesn't work out. <laughs> but um, for these refugees, they're a part of these uh, community gardens. And do you feel that the ones that participate with these community gardens are actually happier over here in Michigan versus like some of them that may be kind of sad that they're missing home and stuff like that? Maybe they're happier to be like with the community and people of their similar culture? It's a little bit, uh, definitely more of the community. So many of these people, they are uh, refugees, they are gardening. They're gardening as a family. They're gardening as friends. They are not just, um, this is me, this is my brother. There's a lot of help uh, and trade and um, exchange happening. So uh, when we ask uh, refugees and immigrants if we, gardening makes them feel more welcome and connected to Michigan, everyone says yes so far. Because we know that community gardens, they're not so much about producing food and more about building community. And we know that um, gardening has um, uh, healing properties. And for people that have experienced uh, trauma and migration and dislocation, as they have, uh, this is an opportunity to set roots and grow and feel they belong in the food system, in your society, in your state, in your community. And what happens in the wintertime? They mostly plan for the growing season, I can tell you that. Then at the end of the day, how is this research helping to improve the well-being of refugees that are coming from different countries here to the United States of America? Well, we hope this research can actually teach the managers of the community gardens how they can be more welcoming and inclusive, because it's all to them who build the rules and how and create this, the spaces for them. So we actually want to really um, create a lot of outreach based on the, what we find working with um, these immigrants and refugees here in Lansing to share with others, being like, hey, these are some best practices that you can apply to your own community garden. Um, these are some things that you can do, but especially to our community partner um, because the, great, the Greater Lansing Food Bank Garden Project is the one that manages uh, those 90 gardens here in Megan County in the Lansing area. So we want to go and tell them, but we also want to share what we find with others that may have the same experiences and conditions. There, We don't know how many community gardens are in the United States. We estimate a quarter of a million, but maybe more. So, And we know that 13% of the population is born in another country that is either immigrant or refugee. Um, so we know the, this research can impact those as well. What are some cool things that you've seen people plant that aren't native to Michigan? I see a lot of greens, and it's not so much about what I see, it's more about the way that it's being used. I think that's, for me, that's more fascinating. Uh, so last week I had a cheese dip made with pumpkin leaves that it was made by a Malawian immigrant to share in a potluck. And we all know pumpkin, we eat the pumpkin, but we don't eat pumpkin leaves. So for me to see how the other cultures use the same parts of the plants is really exciting, and especially as we're talking about maybe preventing food waste or, or thinking more about creative ways to eat the same plant. I think that's when we can learn a lot of us. We can learn a lot from them as well. Is there a particular reason why refugees haven't tried to, instead of participating in a local garden, maybe create a restaurant that serves the same kind of ethnic food that they would serve to help also bridge this sense of community in the Lansing area? We don't have any case study for that here in Lansing, but we do know that 
immigrants as a full, they have what we, ho we call higher entrepreneurship rates. So they are most likely to open a business. And many times that business is food related. Things like an ethnic market, a bodega, a restaurant. And the actual, when we have a few uh, uh, restaurants run by immigrants or refugees here in Lansing, and, but they are not growing produce that, that is coming from the garden, mostly because the community gardens are not allowed to sell. And we do have a few uh, immigrant or refugee farmers but maybe the supply is now being connected to those restaurants. If they're not allowed to sell the food, how do they pay for the land? Like, are they allowed to sell these foods at farmer's markets or anything like that? Or are they strictly off of donations? Uh, no, because there is a managing agency, uh, the Garden Project, the Greater Lansing Food Bank Garden Project. And they are the ones that usually have the lease of the land or the ownership of the land. So they are the managing agency in but every community garden sets the rules about how they want to manage that. And because the, the goal is to fight food insecurities, to prevent hunger, to, to make sure people have food, they don't see selling that food as, as a market possibility. So every, every most of the time, every food that is extra, that is not being consumed by the people in the gardens, gets donated to food pantries, soup kitchens, and others. You mentioned the term culturally appropriate food earlier. What does that mean? Uh, there are different ways to describe it. Some people prefer culturally rooting of familiar foods or traditional food. So culturally appropriate food varies by person, varies by ethnic group, varies by immigrant or refugee. So what is culturally appropriate for a Mexican immigrant is not culturally appropriate for an Italian immigrant. So mostly it's about finding and having access to the food that are traditional to your diet and your way of eating back in where where you are in your community. Thank you for that description. Now, more importantly, what motivated you to pursue this research in the first place? Well, I'm an immigrant myself. I migrated eight years ago from the Dominican Republic as a teenager. And I was just surprised, like, um, everything around me changed, but the way in the culture around eating and the way we were eating didn't change as a family in my, in, in my, in my community. But slowly, uh, all what we call a culturalization started happening. So I started eating french fries and chicken nuggets and drinking coffee for lunches. Thank you, American school meal system. Um, so I started thinking a lot about where is this food coming from? Why am I eating this way? Uh, I'm not eating the way I used to. And also I came from a really... Um, agrarian town where I knew where a lot of my food was coming from. I knew who owned the farms. I knew I knew I could see everything where it was coming from directly from the farmers. And here you just go to the supermarket and to the store and you don't know who grows your corn and things like that. So that's when I started really asking questions about what is the food system? Where is my food coming from? And why am I eating this way? And I think that's a question we don't ask a lot. And I wish more people asked that regardless if you're an immigrant, refugee, or who you are. I think that's really interesting. I'm constantly always wondering where, I'm, what am I eating and where is it from? And that's why I like to go to farmer's markets and to actually to the community gardens. Uh, did you first come all the way to Michigan or did you go elsewhere in America beforehand? Yes, I, when I first migrated, I migrated to Rhode Island, uh, you know, that little smallest state between Connecticut and Massachusetts. And Dominicans are the largest Hispanic minority there. So there were around 25,000 Dominicans 
And when I arrived, I felt what we call culturally comfortable. Like there were bodegas, there were ethnic markets. I could literally find almost anything uh, that I that I wanted. So it was really easy for me to keep my food ways. And I'm thinking about many other immigrants that may arrive to Lansing, Michigan, and they don't know where to find those traditional foods. So actually, when I moved to Michigan one year ago, I literally emailed everyone that I knew asking, do you know where to buy plantains? And no one knew. And I was like terrified, like, mom, I'm going to be able to eat plantains. And plantains are really core diet for Dominicans. We People call jokes that we are platinum power people because we love eating plantains. And on my second day here in Michigan, I went to Horrocks Supermarket in, in Lansing and I found plantains and I knew everything would be okay. And just having little things like that, that knowing that food can remind you of home, that food can bring you comfort, and that food can remind you who you are, who you are meant to be, are really important for immigrants like me. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. A lot of people tell me, like, to get the best spot that knows around over here, you have to go all the way to Chicago. <laughs> and then in Detroit, a lot of people go over there for a lot of, like, the ethnic foods that they're looking for. But it's kind of sad that you have to drive at least, like, an hour to go get the food that you want. Yeah. And actually, one of the projects that I'm working uh, this fall with a group of students in the horticulture department is that we're going to be doing an inventory of all the ethnic restaurants, uh, ethnic markets, and ethnic farms in the area. So peop- so future refugees and current immigrant refugees know where to find them. Oh, that's cool. So you have like a resource database for people then like whenever they move over here. Yes, exactly. And I, uh, I was really lucky. I was able to create one for Providence, Rhode Island. And we found there were over 110 uh, ethnic um, markets. And that's really huge for our state, like Rhode Island. That's really cool. Like, do you do that on a website or like on a spreadsheet that you can just share? Uh, you can find that in my website. It's vanessagarciapolanco.com. And finally, what is it like attending graduate school as an immigrant? It's really interesting because um, I, no one really knows where to put me. Am I, they, I'm labeled as a domestic student. But I spend more time with the international students because that's why I feel more culturally comfortable. Um, but their challenges is especially language BMI. Even after eight years here, my writing, grammar, and pronunciation are still not perfect. And I just have to embrace that that's part of my identity and everything that I do. And um, and I think it's just uh, reaffirming belonging. So I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm an immigrant, I'm a new American, and that's how I experience America. And that's the, my first identity, aside from being a woman of color or being a woman in science and, and a new American. That's how I experience America. Well, thanks a lot, Vanessa, for coming in this morning and talking to us about your research. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to all of our listeners that joined us this week. And remember, the truth is in the science. Any comments and questions can be directed to scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll see you all next week on SciFiles.